In this picture, you have the light colors in the background and these deep colors in the front. A lot of contrast makes me think about how our society contradicts in many ways. You have a king wanting to help the common people, but at the same time, it's also a king uh, living in a hierarchy and he's on top of that hierarchy. So I think it's a good sense for me to think about how I form opinions or think about all these nuances that I've been trying to navigate in these spaces and not always having the answer for what is definitely right and definitely wrong. Monarchies around the world and empires and all of that. And only now we live in democratic society and it's so young. I think we're still learning how to human <laughs> sometimes. My name is Tina Junk Christensen and I'm the host of Danish Originals, a podcast series created in partnership with the National Gallery of Denmark and the American Friends of the National Gallery of Denmark. Our goal is to celebrate Danish creatives who've made a significant mark in the US. Today our guest is Aka Niviana Mörk Petersen, a multi-talented creative woman from Greenland. Welcome Aka. Thank you so much. Aka, you wear so many hats professionally. You're an activist, an actress, a producer, a poet, an advisor, and I could go on. Maybe it would be a good idea for you to present yourself to our listeners and tell them about a lot of the things that you're engaged in. So Aka, what do you do? Give us a short introduction to the many things that motivate you and that you are engaged in professionally. I like to uh, introduce myself as an artist using different platforms to yeah whatever occupies my mind I think and what I feel I want to talk about whether it's issues or just things that interest me so yeah I would mainly say I'm an artist in different situation and work relations yeah. mm. what would you say is your creative field that you express yourself in mainly within film I like working with scripts and, of course, acting, but also a production in itself. I come from Greenland and I live in Nuuk, and uh, it's still a developing field within the film industry. And within the past years, we've been lucky to collaborate with a lot of different filmmakers. Also, filmmakers in Greenland have worked so hard uh, to develop and reach, yeah, get out there with all the beautiful talent we have in our mm -hmm. land. And one of the professional hats that you wear is the actress hat. Recently, you played the troubled character Julia in the eerie and haunting American crime series True Detective, which for a season is called North Country. Tell us about this character and why she was right for you to portray. I think for me, it's also telling a story through acting. This character for me, I didn't see myself one-to-one -one with her, but I recognized some layers and some nuances that I wanted to show. Coming from a small community, you're a part of a community and this dynamic within that society, but you're also battling your own individual demons, issues, navigating the space between being a community member, but also it's important for me when we talk about indigenous peoples that we are each individual's different peoples with space to have our own opinions and not always having to be what we want people to hear, I think. The director of the series, Isa Lopez, who's from Mexico, said that you blew her away with the casting tape that you sent to her. 
She explained that it was a very complicated role and that you nailed it. Which kind of tape did you send to her? And how was the process of getting the role after they'd seen it? I was reached out to by Danish caster Julia Witt. I've been in contact before due to another role in another context where I had a try, but I was still not really confident in acting. It was never something that I wanted to push you like that because I'd like to see myself also as a behind-the-scenes person. So I was skeptical. It was a different role at first I was um, going to be cast as. And I sent it. I just, yeah, it was a self-tape. And then outside of Nuuk to this festival where we off-grid, you have no connection or anything. And I was there for four days and I didn't give any thought to the casting, really. When we were on our way back to Nuuk on the boat... I got connection and I just saw my phone blowing up and Julia has written me again and was like, so the director wanted to try you for a bigger role and it's this character. Give me a call and I wanted to tell you a little bit about it and she was like, I need you to call me today. So I did and still I was a little skeptical because I think still not seeing myself as an actor. Uh, in that sense, I was a little, okay, whatever, I'll send something and yeah I send in a tape a few days <laughs> later and Julie kept writing me why are you not sending me the tape you know <laughs> it was kind of funny and then she was like come on <laughs> I need you to do this or will you please send me a tape and I did and I think around a week later I got the call she called me on FaceTime and I was like whoa <laughs> and she was just really happy and she was like welcome to this production we are so happy to yeah welcome you to the cast and that's when it hit me and I was like whoa <laughs> what's going on what just happened so yeah that was how I got casted as Julia Navarro wow and you went to the premiere of True Detective in Los Angeles in January this year what was the experience like and what is your impression of Los Angeles I know you went to the Paramount Studios one of the historic places in this city Yeah, I think it was really overwhelming. And I think reality hit me standing on the red carpet and seeing all these photographers and journalists asking. And I think, <laughs> yeah, mid-interview with someone, I was like, oh my God, I just realized that we're doing this and it's the premiere. And I think the anticipation has been going on for so long. So it was always something in the future. And I don't know, not really daring to believe that this was going to happen. I put this distance to it and then it just hit me when I was at the red carpet and, yeah, being asked what, uh, yeah, <laughs> all of these questions. Is there a special atmosphere when you go to Paramount Studios? It's an amazing place with yeah. a lot of history. Yeah, definitely. I um, When we entered the doors, it was just like, oh my God, all these filmmakers, all these legends have been here premiering all different things. So I think it was also so unreal. A lot of it has been unreal. And especially also landing in Los Angeles. It was my first time in Los Angeles as well. And came here with my partner and my baby. We've been in this baby bubble. <laughs> so I think it was also such a different reality and looking at the billboards and it, we were everywhere. Unreal, I think, is how I would like to describe it. Yes, billboards with True Detective North yeah. Country on it, right? Mm -hmm. On Sunset Boulevard, for instance. Yeah. 
The series, however, takes place in a different state in the U.S. called Alaska, but it was shot in Iceland, which pretended to be the U.S. for a little while. Do you have any connection to this part of the U.S.? Have you been to Alaska? I haven't been to Alaska, but I have a lot of friends in Alaska, mostly artists, because we perform in circumpolar places. Like We have Inuit in Greenland, Canada, and Inupiaq in Alaska, which is related within Inuit peoples. Yeah, I know about Alaska, but I haven't, unfortunately, been there yet. And that was also interesting, portraying a character in a community that I haven't been in. But I think, for me... Reading the script, knowing people living there, I could see a lot of similarities from our own communities in Greenland. It's rural atmosphere and small society. Yeah, and at the same time having the whole world look at you <laughs> all of a sudden. Yeah. And Isa Lopez, again, the uh, director of the series, said that a lot of the Inuit actors who were from various parts of Canada, Greenland and Alaska knew each other from before and felt a very special connection. What was your experience of this and how important is it to share this experience with other Inuit actors? Yeah, definitely. I, I think a lot of us knew each other and had this connection through language, culture, appearance. We look alike a lot. Yeah, I think the important part for me was, and what I was really aware, was that we were representing a really small demographic group the world, but at the same time navigating in a space that not feeling responsible for all representation of this, because I also think it's important that we have a space to be also people not always having to carry the whole responsibility on how we are seen by the world. Because it is important, and I try to be very mindful about it, but also really investigating this, okay, so how can we make this a better space to represent something also not having to okay because for me I was afraid that I would make a mistake and some people from the communities wouldn't like it and they would feel misrepresented and and feel like they've been wronged and I thought a lot about that but I'm also a human being and trying to open that conversation as well so what do we do better the next time if there was anything that people wouldn't feel good about mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. When I spoke to the filmmakers and actors who were part of the series, they said that you all became like a family. Jodie Foster, who plays the leading role, talked very lovingly about the experience. It was her first TV series, which means much longer shoots than a feature film. How was it like for you? Did you feel this was like a family affair? Yeah, definitely. Um, everyone was so supportive, not only the cast, but the crew as well. And people really took you in. And I think for me, it was my first role in a space like this. At first, I felt intimidated and nervous and really like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I, I got really insecure before yeah, speaking to anyone. But then we met everyone at the table read and people were so welcoming and I cast dinner afterwards with the executive producers and producers. And yeah, I think that's where I felt, okay, the support, people came greeting you. Barry Jenkins, a person within film that I've been looking up to for years, he came to me 
saying my name and was like, it's an honor to work with you. And I was like, what? Are you telling me? <laughs> yeah, so that's where I really felt, okay, they're taking me seriously, even though I'm new within this industry in that sense. And Jody also, when I had scenes with Jody, she was really supportive and, yeah, took her time to talk it through and if I was okay with everything that was going to go on. And uh, Kaylee, who portrays the other detective, my sister in the series, we really also found this sisterly bond, spend a lot of time together outside of shooting as well. And yeah, basically everyone, we had yeah spent so much time together off set as well. Jodie Foster has the leading role with Kelly Rice, an indigenous champion boxer who turned an actress too. Jodie's character is not very likable in the series, and she does not care at all about this fact. How is she as a colleague, and how much did you learn creatively from all these more experienced actors, maybe especially the American actors? Yeah, whenever I had questions, uh, just, not just for the script or for the scene or anything, and, and my insecurities, I think I was <laughs> really honest about it sometimes when I felt overwhelmed. And people were just really supportive and they were like, okay, what do you need to feel safer uh, in this situation? And yeah, and really cheering you up. They were just like, yeah, no, you got this. Of course you got it. I really felt... Yeah, so honored to be welcomed like that. And again, yeah, taken seriously as an actor and as a professional, even though a lot of people doubt themselves in situations where you're under pressure. And personally, in um, doing this production, there was two big life events happening that changed my whole uh, life. And people also had the space to, yeah, and, and time to... Yeah, recognize that and yeah. And Jodie Foster is somebody who's been in the business forever. She's been acting since she was a little girl. How was she? What was it like to look at her and her acting? You say everybody was welcoming and supportive. Was she like that too? Yeah, definitely. I remember having a specific scene and I had it with Jodie and I was nervous because it was Jodie Foster. I'm going to have play a scene with Jodie Foster. But then she came on set and she was like, oh, can I give you a hug? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And she's like, how are you feeling? And I just came back from a trip. I was briefly back in Denmark for a week and I came back. And yeah, unfortunately, my mother suddenly passed away and the day after I found out I was pregnant so it was uh, yeah mind-blowing emotional roller coaster so yeah I went to Denmark I was there for a week and then I came back on set and that was the first scene I was gonna shoot with Jodie Foster and she was just like how are you feeling and yeah just took her time to talk to me and if I was okay doing this scene. And I felt at the moment, because then I just started like, yeah, sharing what I was going through at the moment. And I think at that time I would feel like I was oversharing a lot and like being, oh my God, did I just tell all of these things to Jordi? But she was just really nice and I felt sincere support and really, yeah, that was, yeah, the the moment that I felt the most support definitely from my colleagues and Jodie Foster. Sorry about your mom and happy about your baby. Callie plays your big sister in the show. She told me that she would call you little sister on the set and she said that you are very talented and very passionate about your job. What makes you passionate about being an actress? 
Yeah, I think it's this storytelling aspect of it. Getting to tell the story that I see, that I've seen, that I experienced through a character that's not, again, one-to-one who I am at all, but similarities living in these communities and what happens in rural Arctic communities, the intensity sometimes it can be when you are 5,000 people living in a small space and you can't just go away from that space if you'd like. I think that intensity is something that all people get to experience. And whatever comes with that, I think other people's opinion, at least to me, feels more intense living in a small community like that. She also talked about the fact that as indigenous people, you belong to Mother Earth. What does that mean to you if it means the same to you as it does for her? I think, yeah, the relation to nature and Earth is also really important to me as well as an indigenous person. But my focus the past years has also been seeing myself in a modern context. And I don't necessarily think that it's going to be opposites if you belong to nature or if you're a modern person. I don't, that's not how I see it. But I think for me, non-indigenous people who talk about indigenous peoples often get this romanticized view on the indigenous person and only being limited to those things. While I recognize that is a big part of who we are, nature and uh, the relation to, yeah, everything living, it's also become really important to me to talk about us in the context of being now a part of Hollywood, being a part of... <laughs> so that's how it's also... You're also part of the community as a whole. Yeah, and navigating in it. And I think it's still an ongoing process for me, finding all the layers, the nuances of that as well. But yeah, I will definitely recognize that. Mm-hmm. Our podcast series is called Danish Originals, and you are Danish, but that's not all you are. You are, as you mentioned, from Nuuk in Greenland. And without knowing for sure, I would assume that this is where your heart belongs and where you ultimately define your identity. It is probably a simplification. So I would like to ask you about your cultural identity and how you would like to define yourself. Yeah. And I think that too is an ongoing process to me. I am definitely Greenlandic. And I think uh, the older I get, I also investigate in these layers because I think if you'd asked me five years ago if I was Danish, I would have said no and I would not hear something like that. Yeah, I come from Greenland in the northern part of Greenland, but I live in Nuuk now. But I spent most of my life in Denmark. And with prejudice and everything, I was very angry. I felt let down by this community and I hated everything that has anything to do with Rigsfællesskabet. I can't remember the English word for that. Common realm. the... The Danish Commonwealth. Yeah, I was really driven by anger. But then I think the older I get and the more I see and also try to understand about the world, I definitely feel related to Denmark. Again, I lived most of my life in Denmark. I came back to Greenland in 2018, relearning my language, getting to know my family again. And yeah, this whole process when we talk about identity and self, how we see ourselves. And I think... Back then, it was important for me how others saw me. I think it was important for me that others saw me as 
a Greenlandic person, and I did everything to distance myself from everything from Denmark. Now, I actually don't care a lot what other things about me, how they would define me, as long I have my own power to define myself and the obstacles coming with wanting to choose what kind of life you want. And I think there is still hierarchies and all of these things. I don't think they're gone, but I think my relation to it has changed and how I uh, choose to navigate in it because I don't want to be driven by anger. Uh, that was really exhausting and it was easy to burn out and everything you do is out of that. So I started asking myself, how can I talk about these things without having to be this angry all the time. So, yeah, and it's still a process. Again, I'm not really angry anymore in that sense. Again, I also think with age and the beginning of the 20s, back then and this whole identity chaos, we, I think we all go through in becoming an adult and all of these things. I think now it's just different. I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin and, yeah, but still navigating in our indigenous people's rights, climate rights, all of these things. But at the same time, trying to put a distance to it personally so I don't feel that I'm losing something every time I try to have a conversation and it doesn't go the way I want to. So, yeah, but it, it's not easy, but I think it's possible. Can I ask where you were from in northern Greenland and what made you move to Denmark? Upnavik. Uh, it is uh, the second northernmost city in Greenland. There is around a thousand people living there. My parents moved to Denmark when I was a kid. Yeah, we've been moving a lot. They had jobs back and forth. So we moved to Denmark and we came back to Greenland on vacations and we moved back for a little while and then moved back. We've been moving a lot, me and my parents. So that's why we ended up in Denmark. And I think education and everything in general, yeah, it gives you possibilities having been in Denmark. Unfortunately, still is not the same in Greenland. So I think maybe that was also a part of the thoughts and in making those choices. But then when I was a young adult, I forgot my language because I worked internationally. So I would use English and yeah, Danish, German, all the other languages. So I didn't really have anyone around me that spoke Greenlandic besides my mom. Or yeah, some friends, but I also forgot because they also lived in Denmark. So yeah, it just felt natural for me to go back, and it was supposed to be for a year, and then I would go back, move back to Copenhagen where I lived at the moment. But then yeah, I'm still in Greenland. So um, <laughs> yeah, you were a producer assistant on the Oscar-nominated short film directed by Anna Svetla called Ivalo which takes place in Greenland and deals with serious subjects like sexual abuse and suicide. What do you think of this film and its representation of Greenland? I think it was a door opener to a lot of uh, filmmakers in Greenland. I think it was knowing all the people behind that production, especially from the Greenlandic side, how hard they worked to make that happen and how much they wanted to be a part of telling this story. It's not a Greenlandic written story, but it's affected, of course, by the Greenlandic cast that was on this production. Ideally, I don't think if it was a 100% Greenlandic production, it would have been made <laughs> in that sense. But I think doing something like that gives the opportunity to tell our own stories on a broader scale. It was really a lot of conversation around 
that and also the issues, what felt problematic to talk about in this context of Denmark and Greenland, but also what is the good things about it. I think really trying to work in a nuanced space, then you need to have these hard conversations. I think what's important when we talk about suicide and sexual abuse in Greenland, it's real and it's there. But when we talk in a context of Greenlandic success, I try to also include other stories as well. It's not only that Greenland is more than suicide and sexual abuse and alcoholism. And I think how that conversation is held is just really important. Of course, I think it should be there, the conversation, but I also think we should take it further than Greenland has a high suicide rate, than asking why and why are we still talking about the issue as just a fact. I think it's important to me, as in everything else I do, that we really dissect everything about it. Why is it that we keep talking about the same headlines? Why hasn't the conversation moved further? But... Hopefully, I think with productions like that and with stories told like that, I think that's how you could maybe push the narrative. And the whole world now saw that film and now knew, okay, so that's an issue in Greenland. And now what? Can the next film that we make, can we move on to the next point of the conversation or the next level? We're excited to see it go all the way to the Oscars. And did you watch the Academy Awards that yes. year? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. We, I think everyone in Greenland <laughs> saw that, and and that's also the thing. You know, even though I talk about these issues, making productions and layers, I think it's still important that you also see Greenlandic people on the red carpet at the Oscars and getting the names out there and getting access, meeting people, because it's also how. I've learned in especially the film industry how yeah, you make things happen, broadening the possibilities, ideas, meeting other creative souls. So yeah, of course, I watched all of that. You also had a production assistant job on the popular TV series Borgen, which was also a success here in the US. It partly took place in Greenland. How important is it to you that Greenland is represented on screen, and if you were to decide which stories out of Greenland? I think, yeah, following up on what we just talked about, representation and becoming a part of a world community, I think, and not as some mystery peoples in the Arctic that nobody knows about, they know they're there. I think being a part of all of this, getting to stand... Taking the mic, telling the story, answering the questions. Yeah, I think that's really what it's about for me. That we are not something that someone is telling a story about. We are telling the story ourselves. As an indigenous person, I want the power or the ability to tell whatever story I want to tell. I don't want to be limited to to talk about suicide. I don't only want to talk about the issues in my community. I want to talk about... Something outside of what is expected as well. I think I want the freedom to do that as well and not being punished in the public sense. Why are you not talking about these issues instead? I want to be free to talk about what I want as well and whatever creative uh, process I want to go go through and make that as well. You You mentioned that you lost your language at some point the Greenlandic language. What is your favorite Greenlandic word and how important is this language to you now, today? Yeah, what's my favorite Greenlandic word? I think my favorite Greenlandic word is uh, that means being able to make a choice. 
I think for me, making choices and being free to do that is what I strive for and for all people to be able to. And I know that it's not possible for all of us to make all choices due to rights and situation and environment, all of these things, all the layers of that as well. But I think that's the goal I see in all sense, in our communities, in my own creative field. And I think for me, being free to make choices is one of the most important things. How do you spell that word? I'm not trying to say it because... <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry. A-A-L-I-A-G-I-I-S-I-N-N-A-A-N-E-Q. <laughs> oh yeah maybe i spelled that no i think i spelled it right but I, yeah it's a long we'll word we'll double check yeah <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite danish word and why mm. finuali <laughs> that's a good word <laughs> i don't know since i was a kid i just liked that word a lot finuali finuali and why it's, it's funny a- it's funny to say uh and it's has a funny meaning something funny <laughs> since i heard the word for the first time i like that And not that I'm a Danish teacher, but for our audience who don't understand Danish, how would we spell this word? <laughs> would you spell it for us? I can spell it for you. F-I-N-U-R-L-I-G-H-E-D, if you want the whole, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> the Danes recently learned during her New Year's speech that their queen, Margrethe II, would abdicate and pass on the job to her son. She has always loved Greenland and its people and has been very outspoken about it. How do you feel about her and how do you think she represents us, Greenland, the Faroe Islands and Denmark internationally? Yeah, honestly, I don't have the biggest personal relation to royal family, but I love the story of it. I've always been fascinated by kings and queens and monarchies around the world, and I think it's really fascinating. But thinking about my personal relations, I don't really feel super connected. But I like the queen, I like the story of all of it, but also navigating Again, trying to navigate, okay, when you talk about rights and hierarchies, what is the monarchy and the monarchy we have today in that context as well. So I think, yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't know. That's okay. Yeah, We don't all have an opinion about it. What do you feel about the connection between Greenland and Denmark? What do you cherish the most and what would you like to change? We have 300 years common history, and I uh, want to acknowledge that there is a history together. I think when we talk in an equality aspect, there is still some steps we have to make. But I feel the past five, six years, the conversation has been yeah, given a space, and actually people that I've spoken to are willing to listen more Again, as I mentioned, I grew up in Denmark and the prejudice was insane. Back then, my mom couldn't get a job because everyone was afraid that she was an alcoholic. And in school, I would get uh, bullied a lot for being Greenlandic and kids would beat me up. Uh, And yeah, I don't know. I'm not a kid anymore and I don't go to school in Denmark, but I hopefully I don't think it's that extreme anymore but when I came to Denmark as a kid it was not nice at all but 
now as an adult and as a person navigating a public space and choosing to have these conversations, I feel more openness now than I felt, yeah, five, six years ago. I think it's still a hostile space. I don't like having those conversations, but I think sometimes it's really necessary that we get uncomfortable and also be honest about what we feel about it, because I think getting told by someone that you are the reason for my misery is also, okay, am I personally responsible or is it like in a historical context? Yeah, instead of just shutting down that conversation, I think it's interesting if we keep having the conversation, where can we go then? And I feel I've met a lot of people that I could do that with and willing to ask, okay, so what can I do? And again, I don't think we're there yet. And I'm wondering if we ever get into this ideal utopian space that we all understand each other. And I hope and I'm going to do everything I can to make that space. Storytelling is a good means mm -hmm. for that. Exactly. It? Yeah, I think so, too. And I also realize the older I get, I can't force people to think anything specifically or however I want the world to be shaped. But I can tell my stories. How do I imagine it? Yeah. So I think that is what I can do. And my last question for you, as we are in Los Angeles while doing this podcast, and you've been to many countries as a professional woman in different capacities, I would like to ask you where you see yourself in the future and what you would like to achieve. What are your dreams and goals and where are you going to be? Yeah, everywhere. I think I'm going to be everywhere. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to be doing, but having discovered acting now as something I really like to do, I hope I'm going to do more of that in the future. I hope I can get to learn even more in especially filmmaking. Again, that's what I really love to do now. When I was younger, I think I've done everything, poetry, music, yeah, and I still love doing all of that, and I hope I get to try new things as well, but I think for me, my focus right now is in film and is in especially acting, so I hope that's going to happen, but I don't know where <laughs> and when, and yeah, I have my daughter, and I hope that she gets to see the world, and getting to ask a lot of questions and telling her own stories as well. We wish you good luck and we thank you very much for being with us here today. Thank you, Aka. Thank you. For today's episode, Aka, Nirvana, Mørk Petersen, Chose, Nikolaj Abelgaard, Christian III, Ophjælper Danmark, Allegory, or Christian III, Suckering Denmark from 1780 to 1781, from the collection of the National Gallery of Denmark. You've been listening to Danish Originals, a podcast series created in partnership with American Friends of the National Gallery of Denmark and the National Gallery of Denmark. This series is sponsored by Studio Haslund. I'm your host, Tina Jung Christensen. This podcast is directed by Christian D. Brun and produced by Theresa Lai and May 11 Projects. Original music by Joachim Smar, executive produced by Christian D. Brun and Tina Jung Christensen. Please subscribe to Danish Originals wherever you get your podcast. Share it with others. Leave a review. Find us on danishoriginals.com and follow us on AFSMK's Instagram and Facebook. 
Last but not least, we invite you to donate to the American Friends of Staten's Museum for Kunst and become a patron. We will see you next week.